Fine. We, we, we should we should start. Okay. So my goal is to finish chapter four before Pesach. Wow. Isn't that ambitious? Okay. No, we, we can finish before Pesach. I'm kidding. We're going to finish before Pesach. We're definitely going to finish before Pesach. Actually, my real concern is what we're going to do after, after we finish. Yeah. The Rebbe's father told the Rebbe that he should win chapter 25 with what? With, with um, intention, but not deep analysis. Anyway. Okay, so what I'm going to do is very briefly summarize um, what we've been studying up until now. Okay. So, learning about the requirements of the godly soul, thought, speech, and action. Do you have your Tanya sheets? Yes. Or books? Or copies? Or it's engraved into your memory so you don't need it? You're nodding about them being engraved into your memory? Yeah. Reminds me of a story. Want to hear a story? So there, was, there, was, there was a student of the Magad of Mezrich who was known as Volpa. Don't ask me why he was known as the Volpa. I don't know, but that's how he was known. He was known as the Volpa. I don't even know what Volpa means, but that's what he's known as. Um, and the Magad had 120 disciples. And the Volpa was unique in that only he, along with the Altarebbe, were able to actually hear an entire discourse from the Magad without going into some sort of ecstatic state. Generally, the Magad would say his teachings and the effect on his disciples would be that they would go into some sort of, um, I don't know, sublime bliss or something. Rebel Aviat's Hobardigia would actually start, like, getting so out of hand they had to remove him in the middle because he just it was too much for him. But anyway, so the Altarebbe and the Volpa, but the, 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 the Volpa, um, he, uh, he was, in Mezrich, he, he stayed in a, in a, in a woman's, and there was a, a woman and she had like a spare room and he stayed in the spare room. And um, the, the oven that used to heat the house produced a lot of smoke. And so the smoke would like pile up near the, near the upper parts of the room. So in order to breathe clearly, you kind of had to like sit on the floor like Tisha because if you're like up here, there was too much smoke. And um, so he was reviewing the, the Magid's discourses with Alter Rebbe, and he complained. What? They would when they were in Mezrich, they to like I mean it wasn't like a big you know fancy hotel, like so they had to sleep somewhere, right? So they, they he had a room in this woman's house. It's a normal thing. She rented out the room. Like so he he complained about how the accommodations were so, so bad, and he said, um, you know, if the Magid only would give him a little bit of money, then he could afford some more normal accommodations. And when the Magad heard this, he said that a worm is eating away inside of him, meaning that there's some sort of, like, undealt with negativity inside of him. In the end, he, like, went off and had a big spiritual fall and became a wandering drunkard. What? Yep. The Vulpa? The Vulpa. I don't know his name. He's known as the Vulpa. Okay, so the story is like this. Yeah. That was an unexpected twist. Yeah. So, at so one point, some sin of the altar of Oregon in, and there was a drunkard, an older drunkard, and he like passed out in his, you know, being drunk, that's what they do, right? And um, in his drunken delirium, and he's lying on a bench somewhere, he starts speaking all sorts of ideas of Hasidus. And so the Hasidim are like, hmm, I wonder if this is the Volpe. And so they start rummaging through his backpack to try and see if there's any manuscripts. 
<laughs> right, if you don't go sit in, that's like a normal thing. But not every drunk person starts, um, you know, as they're passed out, like mumbling, like the ideas of Hasidus. That's an unusual thing to happen. All right, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. So. What? Oh, so the, so at, when, while they're rummaging through his backpack, he wakes up. He's like, "What are you going through my stuff for?" And they apologize, but they said, "Like we're chassidim, and we thought that you maybe the vocal, maybe you had some manuscripts." And he says, "That's the problem with you young people. In my day, that's what he says. The Rebbe, his teachings, and the chassidim were all one. We didn't need manuscripts. You knew fangled Hasidim, the Rebbe is one person, teaching you another thing, you're a third thing, and so you need manuscripts. That's why you're hopeless. That was, that's what he said, then he stormed off. That's the story. So being engraved in your mind. All right. Yeah. It's actually a sad story. At one point, he came to the he came to Liyajna where the Alter Rebbe was, or Liadi, and he was an Alter Rebbe said a mimer, and he was in the crowd. And after the Alter said, he said he said something like, "We were all there," but he like said something said we're praising the Alter Rebbe, and the Chassidim realized like the only way that like that would make sense if he was the Volpa. and they told the Alter Rebbe, he said, "Well, you let him leave," and they like sheepishly said, "Yes." He's like, ah. I could have saved him. I could have like helped him. You let him leave. Wait, what happened? He came. He came to Liyoshna, yeah. and he hid out in the crowd. And he listened to Alter Rebbe say a mimer, and he made some sort of comment about the Alter Rebbe. So the Chassidim realized that it must be him, yeah. and they went and told the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe was very excited. And he's like, um, "Is he still here?" And they said, "No, we let him leave." I hate those kind of yeah. Sometimes the happy ending doesn't come at the end of the story. Tragic. Okay, so we're learning about the three garments, and the idea is that the garments, they are the necessary fulfillment of the love of Hashem, because we can only can really truly be connected to Him through the mitzvahs, which is through the garments. But at the same time, the garments are only truly garments if you know, we have the love, we have the desire to be close to Him. Right? But then we said, in fact, the garments are in fact superior to, to the soul itself, because the soul itself is of a limited being, in its relationship with Hashem. Whereas the garments, the Torah mitzvahs are in fact, they're the gar- Torah mitzvahs and the Torah mitzvahs are one with Hashem. Right? In a simple unity. Simple unity means not the two things that have been united together, but rather one thing. It's actually one thing that just sometimes you describe it differently. And so what we know as the Holy One, Blessed Be He, God, the creator of the universe, can also be known as the Torah mitzvahs, which of course creates a question then what does that have to do with the brachas and tefillin and Shabbos candles that we do? Because they don't seem to be the creator of the universe, right? And so the answer to that was, well, just as we see um, uh, that in the place of Hashem's greatness, you find his humility, that his being unlimited doesn't mean that he's infinite and transcendent. It means that nothing can, um, not no outside force dictates to him who or what or how he is. So therefore, he can bring himself down um, to our level. That's where we kind of left off. Yes? Okay. So we are going to go, we're on page, on my book, it's page 15. In the left-hand column, in the middle of the column, the, the paragraph starts four. 
There's a footnote 16 in my book, right beforehand. Does everyone have the place? Yeah. Okay. For the Holy One, blessed be he, has compressed his will and wisdom within the 613 commandments of the Torah, their laws, and the combinations of letters of the Torah, the books of the prophets, and the Hegiafrica. Hegi, I can never say this word. Hegigrapha. Is that how you say that? Hegiographa? Something like that. Hegiographa. Anyone know what Hegiographa means? No. Means holy writings. Hegio means like holy and grapha means like writing. Holy writings, right? Known as the Ksuvim, the writings, right? There's the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ksuvim. Okay. And the exposition thereof, which will be found in the Agathas and Midrashim of a rabbis of blessed memory. Okay. So, what we're saying is like this God is Ein um, Sof, right? Ein Sof means he has no end. What do we mean he has no end? Not that he's really fat and radiates out everywhere. Not that he has no boundaries, but that. Nothing. Nothing can stop him, right? He has nothing that inhibits him, right? Nothing, nothing, out, nothing outside can tell him what he is or isn't, where he is or isn't, and therefore he can take the totality of his being and imbue that into anything or anywhere of his choosing. Yep. In this context, right? That's how he said that the greatness of Hashem also is the same source. This is humility. Remember, we had those two classes on that topic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now, where did he put himself? So we're very specific here, and I want to go through the specific things. The 613 commandments of the Torah and their laws. Okay. What does that mean? What are the 613 commandments of the Torah and their, and their laws? What does that mean? Are there two places? That one place? Because I want I want us to have a keep a, a total accounting of all the different places. Because there's going to be different aspects of this. That's two. It's two. What's the difference between the six hundred thirteen commandments and the laws? The reverse. The 613 commandments are do, right? So when you light a Shabbos candle, right? Now, um, that's one of the 613 commandments. Like, well, how does it go into things? It's rabbinic, fine. There's a way that rabbinic mitzvahs are really extension of biblical mitzvahs. We're not going to worry about that right now. No, the laws are the instructions. Okay. So, for instance, if you want to encounter Hashem, do you have to wait until Friday afternoon to light a Shabbos candle? Or is it sufficient to say that when Friday comes, there is a mitzvah to light Shabbos candles? And that Shabbos candles have to be lit close enough to Shabbos, but not, to, but not once Shabbos starts, and that the candles shouldn't be moved after you light them, and all sorts of other stuff. Is the mere saying those instructions a place where Hashem is, or do I have to actually do the mitzvah? No, because it says it's in. It's two different things. There's in the mitzvahs, and also in the laws, right? So if we're now go over the laws of sacrifices, is Hashem there in our discussing the laws of the sacrifices? Yes. 
that's what I want you to understand is that when we say Torah, we, he actually lists exactly what, what counts as Torah. So the first thing is the doing, right? The, you, did, you, know, you did mitzvahs, right? And by here, with 613 mitzvahs, it's not mean to exclude rabbinic mitzvahs. Um, and the, 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 the simple way to see this is that um, when you do a rabbinic mitzvah, you have to make a blessing beforehand. And the blessing says that God commanded you to do the mitzvah. So what's the justification for that? That if the rabbis made up the mitzvah, why do we say that God commanded us to do the mitzvah? Right. One of the, several of the mitzvahs are for the rabbis to make up mitzvahs and for us to listen to the rabbis, right? So we are, we are indirectly commanded by God to light Shabbos candles, and, right? So all rabbinic mitzvahs can be seen as extensions or branching of the 613 biblical mitzvahs. So that first thing, 613 commandments, means all the stuff we do. Okay? Right? But then it's not just the stuff we do. It's even the instructions of what to do, even if you're not actually doing it. That itself is also a place where Hashem... Puts himself. But it's also the letters. Also- Alright, we're going in. The next is the combinations of the letters, the books of the prophets, and the Hagakfa. Now, what I want to emphasize here is the combinations of the letters means what? The actual writing. The actual writing? Like the actual Torah scroll is a place where the actual if you actually have a, like the the actual letters of the Megillah, right? It's it's the letters that have nothing to do with like what kind of parchment or anything like that. Well, there's a difference between the sanctity of there's a there's, there's a there's a difference between the sanctity if it's written on parchment or not on parchment and stuff. But but yeah, no, even there's a, there is there is something holy about these letters and these combinations. God is present in these letters and these combinations. So even in printed chumash, it's not the same. But okay, but let's say I'm writing in my notes that I want to write a different thing yeah but now here's an important part here's an important thing what if you what if you read what if you read the Tanakh so you read the Tanakh, you have no idea what you're saying is God there yeah yeah why because of the combination of letters right and that's what I want to emphasize here is that has to do with the physical letters and the physical pronouncing of the letters nothing whatsoever to do with comprehension Okay, so we have how many things? We have the doing of behaviors, mitzvahs, right? Or four things. We have the doing of mitzvahs. We have the laws, the, laws, instructions. the instructions for how to do those mitzvahs. We have the objects that actually has the letters itself, right? The combinations of letters and also the speaking of those letters, those combinations, right? So if I start just saying random sukkim, right? Like, right? even if I don't know what I'm saying, by the way, why should you say Tillman Hebrew then? Because it's a combination. Does it like the other person saying Hebrew? Wait, but this one is saying about the actual sound, but then it just says a combination of the letters. So that point, it's more of like, how do we know that it's also the sound first? Because the letters, the letters, the letters are a thing that is not just written. So even if you're pronouncing it wrong? What? What if you're pronouncing it wrong? So there's... Right, you have a good story. You want a good story? What? You know the story? Yeah. So the Tzemach Tzedek's wife, Rabbi Tzemchaya Moshka, used to say a lot of Tehillim. And she one time complained to her second oldest son, Rabbi Yudalev, that um, ha- she says Tehillim all the time. How come she doesn't know it by heart already? If you keep saying the same text over and over again, you should know it by heart. And he says, because you read it differently every single time. You make new mistakes each time you read it. 
The Tzemach Tzedek heard this, he took, called his son and he says, you should need to apologize that it's in the merit of her to heal him that I was able to succeed against the Russian government in the rabbinic conferences that we wanted to like reform Jewish education. The thing that was a, gave me the power to succeed was, was your mother's to heal him with all of her mistakes. What? What? I've never heard that before. I mean, to be fair, Rabbi Tzachai Mishko is an extremely private person. Like, extremely private person. Like, before she passed away, I don't think 90% of Lubavitchers, if not more, even knew what she looked like. Okay. My brother was in the car and with my grandmother, and like my grandmother said, on the right is Rabbi Tzachai Mishko, and everyone like turned their heads not to look. They were like, that, like they didn't want to like embarrass her. I was like, Very private person. One time. Well, her master, she's Jewish. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So. So presumably, presumably, there's 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 some merit even if you. Oh, that reminds me of another story. When the Jews got out of Russia, there were like several stages. There was a big exodus in the 70s. And there was like a really, really big one in the, in, in the late 80s or early 90s. But the first big exodus was in, in the early 70s. And so there was a big, a lot of them came, from, came to Canada. And so um, they made a public seder for them. It was run by, by uh, Lubavitcher in Canada, I don't remember, it's Montreal, Toronto, I don't know, Rabbi Gulchowski, his son is a, is a big rabbi in Eretz Israel now. And so they had a public Seder, and they made, this was before, like, the, the practical experience of making a public Seder for not religious people, especially Russian immigrants, was well known. And they made the mistake of putting all the things on the table. So they put the matzah and the wine and the mar and and basically everyone gets there and within five minutes there's nothing left. <laughs> Including the mar. Like everything was eaten. And so now Rebuchovsky and Rukhovod he's, he's a big rabbi. He remembers as a little kid, he was remembers like he was like ten, whatever it is, and he looks and my jaw just drops. <laughs> and he looks up to his father, he's like, What about like what are you gonna do? Like the Kazayas, like you have to eat the certain amount of matzah in the right amount of time, or like the wine with four cups. And his father says, The angels know how to put it all together. <laughs> There's an idea in, in Kabbalah, the Chassidist music, that the, the angels clean up our, our Torah and mitzvahs and put things together. What? It's just gone? So now the thing is you just don't put out the food until, <laughs> like now you, you bring out the matzah whenever we need to eat the matzah. So like, I know you're a Right, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, but the, the, the letters, the letters are, are the letters. In fact, the primary, the primary form of letters is actually the spoken letters. People often don't realize this, but the Hebrew word for reading, anyone know what the Hebrew word for reading is? Yeah. Kriya. What does the word Kriya actually mean? What? There's two words. Is it two here? What? No, that's with an I. That's, 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 that's uh, tear. No, tear. No, no. No, Kriya is in to read, but what, what is it? It means to recite. It, it has two meanings. It means to call or to recite. 
Okay. In fact, people don't know this, but the idea of, of like sight reading is actually relatively recent historically. Yeah. <laughs> sight reading, like you like you have a book and you just like read like this. It's a relatively recent thing. Yeah. It, it goes back. I think maybe, like as a, as a practice, maybe seventeen hundred years, two thousand years, something like that. It was just unusual. There's, there's like historical records of people seeing, like scholars seeing younger people sight reading, like, wow, that's interesting. No, so like there's a mitzvah, right? So, so like the mitzvah of, of, of Kriya Torah, what does the mitzvah of Kriya Torah mean? Reciting the words of the Torah, right? right? So like how do you do the, people don't know this, the mitzvah of Torah study, there's two elements of the mitzvah of Torah study. One element of the mitzvah of Torah study is the bar tabam is to speak the words, and the other mitzvah is to understand, part is to understand, okay? Um, to the point that there's some actual discussion. If you're just sight reading, um, are you really doing the mitzvah? Sorry, some debate. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so the letters can exist both verbally and printed. In fact, the main letters are actually the, the verbal. Um, okay. Is that why specifically dominating your own What? Yeah, you're not. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, with the exception of the Zohar, you have not. Da- you're not davening if you're if you sight read. Yeah, you not saying words. Okay, and then we also have last. The... What? But because most Jews know that you have to read the words. No, but you actually. You can't do it in English. Well, yeah, if you can't, you, you have, if you, yes. The halacha is, the halacha is, if you want to dive in English, you need to say the words. You have to be able to, you're right. The halacha is, you have to say the words audibly enough that you can hear what you're saying. It's not enough to move your lips and not hear anything. Right, but let's say that I but you never saw somebody go like this right, when no, they're davening. Exactly. I know, but let's say I'm, I'm davening and I'm, I'm reading it in Hebrew, but I'm looking at the English. That's fine. That's, that's fine. fine right? that's fine. That's fine. Because you are davening. Right. You're actually saying, right? The, the, the thing is, right. But, but, my, my eyes aren't in the Hebrew that I have. Right. Letters are made up. Letters, the way that. That's a very good thing to do. The, the letters are physical things. They're made up of either the contrast of ink and paper, ink and parchment, or they're made up of the cutting of your audible breath through your different parts of your mouth. Like the confusing, like, like you, right, you know, it's you, you make, you, you breathe out and you make audible sounds, and then you cut them with like your tongue and your lips into like, and that, that make, that's what makes letters. Letters are always formed by the combination of two things, either, um, the, the, the voice, what's called the kol in Hebrew, and the hematzah, different parts of the mouth, or the interaction between ink and paper. But they're actual physical things. So that's the answer to what I was asking earlier. I know that it's only four things, because you said four things, but I would think it would be three. Okay, and then we have, lastly, the agodas and the midrashim of our rabbis of blessed memory. Now, what are agodas and midrashim? Yeah, agadas means sayings, and midrashim means our explanations of verses. Okay? So, anything of the, that, that, of, of... The, do agadas also include, like, stories? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for instance, 
Yeah. Uh, you know that uh, Moshe was 10 almost tall? He was 10 cubits tall? You've heard this before? Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, it says he was 10 cubits tall. And Para was one Amma tall. What? An Amma is this big. So he was like 10. He was 10 of those. So he was somewhere between 15 and 15, 15 to 20 feet tall. Okay, but now here's the thing. And how much is Para? Para was like a foot and a half to two feet tall. I will not let the Jews go! Okay, well, here's my point. Me telling you and you hearing that Paro was ten was one Amatol, that itself is one of the places where Shem is. And that in, in, in the saying and learning and thinking of those ideas, Shem is there, right? So what he's saying is like this. We have the mitzvahs, the actual doing of mitzvahs, the laws of how to do mitzvahs, even if we're not actually doing them at the moment, right? The words, the, the, the words, combinations of letters of the Holy Scripture, whether those are the actual physical in the books or physical in the sense of being spoken. And then we have the sayings of our sages and the interpretations of the verses that they give us. Right, but you can kind of subdivide, you can kind of group them somewhat in the sense that the letters, you can take one, one category and you can say the Madrashan and the Gathas is one category. They're very similar. You could group it however you want. But, but those are the places where Hashem is found. Right? So contrary to the song, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, he's only in the six places. <laughs> okay. Good? What? By the way, I, I, just for purposes of, of being clear, there is a tremendous amount of discussion as to what degree um, a goddess and midrashim are meant to be taken literally. Um, and it is by no means... Um, universally accepted that every single medrash is meant to be understood literally. In fact, there's an argument to be made that almost nobody holds that every medrash should be understood literally. So, there you go. By the way, there's a good argument. Yeah, there's a good argument by, by the way, that that Moshe was not in fact ten amos tall. That he's not. There's a good argument for this fact. You want another good argument? What? No, that God can do miracles. Oh, there was, there were you, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. Like it's physics is never a good argument. Physics, physics is not a good argument. No, the argument, the argument goes like this. I think even brings in a sikha once, but the argument goes like this: Moshe flees Egypt. Okay, he ends up by the by, in Midian and he saves Yisro's daughters. And they say an Egyptian man. Now, why do they say an Egyptian man saved them? What's the reason they say the Egyptian man? Well, no, that's the weird thing. Is he dressed? He was dressed Egyptian, but he didn't look Egyptian because he, yeah. he was a Jew, right? Egyptians did not look like Jews. Jews came from Mesopotamia, um, and Egyptians were much more darker skinned. Ancient Egyptians were very dark skinned, um, more similar to what we would think of stereotypically African. Um, and Jews, and 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 Jews probably looked a lot more. Avram uh, like Yaakov, those people, they probably. Um, looked a lot more, um, what? More like Persian. what? We, yeah, more like well, more I think like you know more Persian. It's probably the, the the mission actually says that Jews. It's very funny. People there's a mission that actually says what color Jews are. Well, uh, yeah. 
It says, it says they're not white like Germans and they're not black like Ethiopians. Somewhere in the middle. That's what it says. All right. Big range. Right, but it's like, it's interesting. Like there's a whole, no, because it, it has to do with the laws of Tsaras and like the skin being discolored. And so you need to know like what is the standard nation. So like, anyway. Um, no, so, so they point out that he's a weird guy. He's like dressed like an Egyptian. So the thing is like, if he's 10 almost tall, what's the thing you think they would have told their father? This man who's like three times the height of normal people saved us. So some of the commentators point out like clearly the magic couldn't have mean, meant as a straightforward meaning of the verses because it doesn't fit nicely into the story. Um, take it or leave it. Fine. But the point is that itself is a place where the Ein Sof or Hashem's infinite being resides. Okay. Now, why does Hashem put himself into these places? Just because he can doesn't mean he should. Right? Like... It is a bit weird, right? I mean, you go to a person and say, you know, the, 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 the infinite being who transcends all limitations and is not compelled by any outside force whatsoever chose to com um, contract his being into 24 books written in ancient Hebrew, which are not even that good, frankly. <laughs> they aren't. Have you read them? What? It's a punctuation. the grammatical errors, right? There's no exploration of, of character motivation. It's just not good literature. Switching perspectives. Yeah. Goals. And then, and you know, like, why would he do that? So what does the what does he say? All of this in order that each neshama or ruach or nefesh in the human body should be able to comprehend them through its faculty of understanding and fill them as far as they can fill in act, speech, and thought thereby clothing itself with it and its ten garments in these three garments. In other words, why does Hashem place himself into these particular things? What do they all have the advantage of? There are things we can either do, say, think, or understand. Right? In other words, they make Hashem accessible. Right? So what is the virtue? What is the thing? What is the primary virtue of any, any of these things? A mitzvah, the laws of a mitzvah, these particular way, this particular combination of Hebrew letters, right? These particular sayings or explanations, right? What makes all those things valuable is that's a place where Hashem is to be found, and we our soul can um, connect to Hashem there, right? They're access points. So the question is not why put himself in these things. Oh, and then we have an answer that. So it answers him. What, it's, what, is it, what, is, what is the altar by answering? The altar is answering is that is it something about what, what, what do these things have that, from God's point of view, justifies him being there? That we can access them, right? Can you do, the, can you do actions and think thoughts and, and, and say words? Yeah. Okay. Can you understand ideas? Okay. So God picks a collection of actions, words, thoughts, and ideas, and says, well, I'll be in these ones. Meet me there if you're interested. Okay. Now, what does that not explain? Why? Why what? Why these? Why these as opposed to? Anything else. Anything else, right? It explains, in other words, it explains why he's in, in other words, it's ex it explains why he is in Thought, speech, and action, and ideas, but it doesn't explain why it's in these thoughts, and these actions, and these words, and these ideas, right? Okay. So the Alter Rebbe had a very famous saying that if God were to ask us to go chop wood, we would go chop wood. Now, what does that mean? 
God yeah, if God would ask us to chop wood, we'd go chop wood. Right. Now, what does he mean? Is he trying to get at the idea of obedience? Is that what the author was getting at there? He's not getting at the idea of obedience. What he's getting at the idea is, is that what makes, say, tefillin or Shabbos candle valuable is that Hashem is in it. If a sh- right, not, not anything that is specific to the Shabbos candle or the tefillin. And so if Hashem were to be in wood chopping, then we would just have just as much motivation to go wood chopping. Meaning there's no meaning behind the lighting chops candles. On this level of explanation. Right. Okay, now, so what I want to do is I want to explain this idea a little bit because this sometimes throws people off and... and is, is this just like an added layer of size for like Tommy Mitzvah kind of, kind of thing? Like, like, or is it like... Let, 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 me, let me start explaining the idea from the beginning, okay? Okay. Okay. Remember we spoke about the idea of Ratzon? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we said that Ratzon is this idea of like the soul reaching out, the soul connecting. Okay. So in Hasidus, we explain that there's two kinds of Ratzon. Okay. What we're going to call a limited Ratzon and an unlimited Ratzon. Okay. Um, that's my terminology, but you'll, I think it'll just be helpful to call it that. Okay. A limited Ratzon and an unlimited Ratzon. Now, what does it mean that a Ratzon is limited? Um, you ever heard the you've ever heard the joke? Um, there's two people running away from a line, and one guy stops to tie his shoe. And the first guy says, well, "Why are you stopping to tie your shoe? You're not going to outrun the, the the line by having your shoe tied." And he says, "I don't need to outrun the the line. I just need to outrun you." <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what they get the idea being is that my motivation to run is to save my life. Well, how fast do I have to run? Right, in other words, I have to evaluate the danger. The danger is me and the line, and that's it, so then I have to run past the line. But if the line has some, but he's going to stop with first, I should run faster than the other guy, right? Okay. So, one of the things that we'll notice about Rutzen is that that will, right, that drive, that caring, that investment, it, 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 um, it has a limit, and that limit is because there's often something, um, is that that rutzen is actually in service of some kind of goal. We're trying to achieve something. So for instance, like why do I why am I pushing my legs so hard? Because I don't want to die. And if I'm, you know, the only way to save my life is to be far away from the danger, right? Okay. And very often, and this is like an uncomfortable thing to observe, is that you can tell um, what's really motivating a will by its limits. Okay, for instance. You ever have this? You ever have this 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 situation? I'm going to give examples in two ways. You ever have a situation where you ask someone to do a favor and they say no and they explain why and you come up with a really creative way where that problem doesn't isn't really a problem anymore, yeah. and they're still not interested in doing it. Yeah. So what does that mean? That's not what. Right. Excuse. An excuse. In other words, in other words, there's something else driving their will not to do it, right? Okay. And they're not being honest with you. It could also be, by the way, they're not even being honest. Themselves. With themselves, okay. But then you have the opposite, right? Um, how often have you decided to take on a project and then like just you know petered out somewhere in the middle? What? 
So what does that mean? Like, were you was what was were you really was your was your will really directed at accomplishing that project? No, your will was actually being like this. Pro, your will was towards the project as a means to something else, and then some like at some point, like you got what you needed, or you realized you weren't going to get what you needed out of that project, and then that was it. It wasn't really about that. Motivation. What? That, but but that's my point is that the reason of enough motivation, and this is the uncomfortable part, is because the thing you are motivated to isn't the project. You think it's a project. You are. You are. In other words, you're. There, there's there's a lack. If it really was a project, I would have enough motivation for it. Mm-hmm. You think mm-hmm. so? Yes. <laughs> you really do. I really do. This is a very uncomfortable thing. Like I know somebody who was. He came to my notes a few years ago. Like there's so many things I wish, but it's not gonna happen. We spoke about the difference between. We were speaking, right, right, this is what I'm trying to say. Is that is that Rutson, right? That. The rutsan can be more and can be less and can have different aspects to it. Is there something that is there's something that is limiting it? Say, you can I can only be this invested and this driven and this much care. And what are those things that are limiting my rutsan? Are not always they're certainly not obvious to other people. They're not even always obvious to ourselves. I'll give you an example. There was a guy who became a Balshuva in my note, um, and he was very he was he was one of these people who's like really really driven, and he did amazing. Like in a very short period of time. He went from not knowing how to read Hebrew to being able to study Gemara with the major commentators, study Chassidus on a deep level. And so within a year and a half, you could easily forget that like a year and a half ago he wasn't keeping Shabbos. And then he dropped it all within the span of two weeks. Okay. But he wasn't, now, he wasn't like his religiosity went, his religiosity was very gradual. It was just like, but like it, was, it wasn't like one day all of a sudden, boom, he was doing very well. Let me stop is that he realized that the thing that he was driv- driving for was a sense of, was a sense of, of not, not belonging, but, 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 but a, 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 a sense of meaning and a sense of personal accomplishment and certain other things that he, whatever, he had a very interesting childhood, whatever. And he realized that there's a lot of parts of Judaism and being religious that he really doesn't like and he doesn't need those parts. <laughs> in order to get what he wants. And he realized, like, you know what, the thing, and so, like, he still learns chassidus. Really? Yeah. He still learns chassidus. He's still, like, he puts on tefillin, he's married to a Jewish woman, uh, like, but he's not, like, he's not, like, he's not, like, 100% observant, and he's, like, so what happened is that, and what happened was that something triggered something else that made him start to realize, like, you know, what I'm driving at is this and not that, and I don't, like, in other words, that very often our will is in service of something else. And if we don't know what it's in service of, we don't realize why it peters out, why it's not malleable when we expect it to be. Right? Do you ever find yourself being stubborn? You don't even know why you're being stubborn about something? Okay. So what we're seeing is that the will, there's something higher than the will that's limiting it. Limiting it in the sense of not just wi- that you don't, like, you, it, it fizzles out, but living in the sense that it also can't stop itself. Like, sometimes you just want to, like, I, I want to stop being so driven towards this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes people, like, they want, they, 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 you know, people, there's a behavior they want to stop doing, yet they seem so driven towards it. Like, where is that coming from, right? So there's something deeper than whatever the will that we're talking about is that is limiting the will because it's using the will as a means to something else. Okay, that makes sense? Okay. So now, 
what I want, what I want everyone to understand about this is, in a certain sense, that that means that you're not really, if, if you're if you're working with a limited will. It's the problem is not just the, not the problem. It's not just that the will is limited. It also means, in a certain sense, there's something superficial about the whole thing. Okay. Because what it means is, you're not, the thing that your will is directed at is not really at that. So let's just use an example, okay? Let's say a person is like working on publishing a book. But the real reason why they're driven to publish a book is they want recognition. Okay? Plausible, right? Mm-hmm. They, maybe they're aware of it, maybe they're not, right? But, but that's really what's driving them. Okay. So it's not just that their will is being limited by, their, by the underlying desire for recognition, right? So if they realize that they'll never get recognition from the book, they might lose all sort of desire, or they really get recognition some other way faster, right? Whatever the case may be, right? But it also means like this: even if the will never stops and they end up publishing the book, how much were they actually genuinely present in the book versus how present versus how much was it? Is that is that there's in a certain sense that there's a superficial relationship to the book? Because after all, the it's not about the book; it's about the recognition, right? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So now, what this m- means disturbingly is that any time there's a reason why my will is directed at something, then I'm superficial. It means that we have this that we have this problem that if the reason why I'm so driven to A is because of achieving B, that means I'm not really into A; I'm into B. Okay, but now, but okay. A, my relationship with A is superficial. But then you yourself, why am I so driven to B? I don't know how you could have, like, Well, this is, I'm not, I'm not, this is, I mean, that's fine. Like, it's okay. No, I'm not, like, you're not, saying if, you, if the reason you're doing it is because God said so. That's also superficial. Yeah. For sure, okay. This is like how, sorry, oh. Um, so, an example of, like, you're doing A as a means to get to B. But what if A is also something that you're like, even if I don't get B, I'm still like so jabbed about it. Like I'm so excited. That it does provide a step, but Okay, so 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 we didn't we 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 we, 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 we didn't we didn't get we I have to get one more step, okay? Okay. The other way I said it is, is is relatively intuitive. What if the reason you're doing something is because you enjoy it? It's feel good. It makes you mean. It's meaningful. Also, I was going to say, like, even if it's superficial, if it's meaningful to you, then that's just going to be a meaningful thing. Yeah, but but then it means it's also superficial. Why? Why? Because really, what are you connected to? The feeling of of of, that feeling of meaning, right? It happens to you. This gives you meaning, but like it's not a you're so you're not really invested in that thing itself. You're invested in. Yeah. Makes you feel. I'm not gonna. By the way, by the way, by the way, I'm going to argue right now that normal conscious, normal human experience, conscious experience does not have does not have a kind of a will that doesn't work like this. And every time you, I just want to make an observation. Right. That makes sense. In other words, even the thing that I most feel most, 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 most about, this is really important. But if underlying, I'm invested, I'm dedicated, I'm driven. And there's a because of something else. Not only is that because of something else limiting the will, it's also creating a a a a a, a level of, of disconnect from the thing that I'm supposedly so engaged with. Okay. Now, 
obviously there's degrees to that, right? There's a very big difference between doing something because it provides a very profound level of personal meaning versus doing something just to get paid, right? One is, right? So in the realm of superficiality, they're not comparable. But if I zoom out and I just look fundamentally, there, it, it is not the case that my will is, you know, first, you say, like, like, why are you studying Torah? I'm studying Torah for its own sake. You say, what do you mean? It's like, when I study Torah, I feel so connected to who I am. Ah, so, so you're not studying Torah for its sake. You're studying Torah because it makes you feel connected. Fine. Fine, but that means the thing that you're ultimately connected to and you're not fully engaged. No, that's what I mean when people just, like, connect with, like, a little bit, like, having faith Okay, well, guys, 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 I want, I want, guys, 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 guys. Yeah, real connection is the same thing. Same thing. Same thing. What I want to hear is. Are you doing it for how you feel? Yes. There's, yeah. just, there's just different kinds of feeling. And Hashem doesn't want us to do that at all? I didn't, I, I, I'm only making observations. This is not, this is not meant to be, a, this is not meant to, to, a judgment. This is just an observation of when we have a will, our will is limited. And what does it mean our will is limited? Is that there's something else that this will is in service of. There's a mavukash. There's something that this will is trying to achieve. Which is the self. Yeah. Something it's seeking out. And the thing that the will is, quote, directed at is not really the thing right. itself. And therefore, it's limited in how much it's driven to that thing. But it also means there's a level of disconnect. Now, a level of disconnect can be looked at as, like, really negative And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm... A person who's like doing something only for the money and they hate what they're doing. Or it could be something like it's so profound, it gives me a sense of, 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 of profound personal meaning, even though I would die for that. But it's still that sense of profound personal meaning. It's not the thing itself. Okay, fine. Good? Yeah. But that's all limited will. What would an unlimited will be? There's no reason. Is that there's nothing justifying why, I'm, why I am... Doing invest my will is directed at this. So the fact that Hashem has a will that there's nothing to find makes it way more profound than ours? That's what I'm trying to get at. And those, what, 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 this is a point that people often miss. This is a point that people often miss. Is that they, 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 auto, they just automatically assume if there's no reason why Hashem is saying in tefillin as opposed to in mini golf, that must mean Hashem's, Hashem's being in tefillin is relatively superficial because there's nothing specific about tefillin because it's just easy with mini golf. But the opposite is true. If he has a rotson and the rotson goes into the tefillin, well, why is it in the tefillin? What's justifying it being in the tefillin? For a reason, no? That, no, we have a reason why he's in, why he's in this world, in, in these garments at all. But we were talking about... I understand, but isn't there a specific reason why he's in the tefillin over the mini golf? Mm -mm. No, no. Not what we're learning here. Because it's unlimited. When you say why does he do that because he wanted, that's really the deepest thing. Right, what we're saying is like this. What we're if, really saying is nothing. <laughs> no, what we're, 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 saying, we're saying is like this. What do you mean? He, he's not more than a minute? No. If you were to say that Hashem is in the tefillin because tefillin are square and they're black and like they have all these different properties and therefore that explains why Hashem is specifically in tefillin, whereas mini golf is different and therefore Hashem is not in mini golf, then what you're saying is his being in the tefillin is limited. But if you say he's in tefillin, and, and, that, and his being in tefillin doesn't depend on the tefillin, depends entirely on him, right. then what's limiting his investment, his presence in the tefillin? Nothing. 
So therefore, the connection that he's making available to you in being in what is, quote, so to speak, arbitrary is actually a more profound connection than if it was in something that has some underlying justification for it. I understand that, but that still means that he's still put more, it doesn't matter what, his unlimitedness that doesn't have, we need to understand why associated with the tefillin over the minigol. Well, for sure he did, but there's no why. That's what I'm trying to get at. It doesn't have to be a why, but it's still that over the other. Like, we for still sure. have to connect not to the minigol. Yeah, that wasn't what I was getting at. But for, you're right, but that wasn't the point I was trying to... Okay, so here's the thing. Okay, and this is, this is, this is... Like, this is a kind of a test if you understand the idea. Is the fact that there's no reason, not we don't know the reason, I want to be clear, not that we don't know the reason, but there is no reason, right? You know the difference between we don't know the reason and there's no reason. If you were to ask Hashem, why Tefillin, why not mini golf? He would say, because I decided Tefillin. So why did you decide Tefillin? I mean, I did. It's not why, I did. You could have done something else? I could have, but I didn't. That'd be the end of it. is the fact that there's no reason why tefillin is supposed to mini golf, no reason why Shabbos candles as opposed to, I don't know. Like when Mashiach comes not getting the idea of why it was tefillin type of thing. Because there was a level on this level. On this level. Yeah, on this, on this level, what it's being said here. What it's being, on this level, is that more of a reason for a person to want to do a mitzvah or less of a reason to want to do a mitzvah? In other words, it, the way that the Alkib is presenting this it, is that the fact that there isn't a reason why it's filling as opposed to mini golf. Well, from his case, the way he presented it, it should make a person want to do more. It has nothing to do with the actual thing. Exactly. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. That's right. And his and the, what Shem is saying is, I'm putting myself in a place, and I am putting myself in this place in only, only, and only to be available to you. There is no other limiting factor here. So don't go asking me, and I'll give you just an analogy for this idea. It's like if I say, let's meet up at 2 o'clock. It's like, why 2? Fine, 2, 3, whatever, whatever it is, that's what it is. Right? It's not like the 2 o'clock makes, it's not a limiting factor. By the way, this is different when we say Shem created the world. Did Hashem create the world for some ultimate reason? No. Wait, what? Did Hashem yeah. create the world for some ultimate reason? Yeah. And therefore, is Hashem's presence in the world therefore limited? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Because there's a reason for creating the world. What? There is a reason to create the world. And therefore, Hashem's presence in the world is? Limited. Whereas there's there a reason for tefillin? No. So is there Hashem's presence in this tefillin is? Limited. That's what he's trying to get at. The only thing Hashem is trying to achieve by having the mitzvahs is to be available to you. So it's close. That is why. Meaning you're going to have a deeper connection to the tefillin than the tefillin. That's right. But when you were, when we were talking about that whole idea of like being like deals, like get around the ceiling, things like that, all those things, like this is sort of Right. Right. Okay. So in other words, like this, what is it? Let's say Shabbos candle. Shabbos is a mitzvah. What does it mean the Shabbos candle is a mitzvah? The Hashem's will is directed at your action, right? Is it in the Shabbos candles or is it by us lighting Shabbos candles? Like, is it okay. will okay. we should light the Shabbos candles? So later on in Tanya, the altar gets into the specifics. Um, uh, if you want, I'll go into it right now very briefly. The- 
So if we think of the will as like a soul, okay? So there's, there's, there's three levels here. There's what's called a soul, there's a body, and there's a horse. horse. Trust me on this, okay? So imagine you have a cowboy. A cowboy is made up of how many parts? How many parts are there to a cowboy? A soul, body, and a horse. A soul, body, and a horse, right? You can't have a cowboy walking around. It's not much of a cowboy, right? Soul, body, and a horse. Okay? Now, what is the common denominator between the body and the horse? They're both physical. They're both physical, right? They're both physical, and they move in accordance with the will of the soul, right? Um, and they're totally, you know, totally, um, 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 I don't know. Yeah, right, okay. However, there's a difference, which is that the will of the soul is actually enlivening and infuses the body such that it becomes somewhat one, right? Whereas the horse is, 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 is the, the horse, there's a lacking of one, there's a lacking of total unity, right? There's, it's, it has a distinctness, right? The horse is a separate being. Okay, so in this we differentiate between the um, between the later on Tanya the altar but differentiates between the physical aspect of the mitzvah and the spiritual aspect of the mitzvah. And I, by spiritual, I don't mean anything mystical. What I mean to simply say is like this: when you do an action, right? So you use your let's say you light a Shabbos candle. So when you light a Shabbos candle, right? You're using your power of action, like you're picking up the matches and you're lighting, right? So your 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 action is more of a spiritual event. It's something that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So that is like a body that, that, that fuses with Hashem's will in the way like the body fuses with the soul, right? Whereas actually the flesh of your hand and the, and the candle and the match are more like the horse. Right. And that, so that's the technicalities of it. That makes sense. Okay. But the point is that you've actually created a space where Hashem is fully present and to the degree like your soul wants to be connected to Hashem, that, that's what it is, right? So the mitzvah is actually, and this by the way explains something very interesting, you'll find this expression in Hasidus, that the mitzvahs were clothed in physicality. What does it mean the mitzvahs are clothed in physicality? I mean, I thought like Shabbos candles were a mitzvah. We're saying, no, 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 a mitzvah is the unlimited will of Hashem. And where did he put the unlimited will of Hashem? In the Shabbos candle. Does it have to go into a Shabbos candle? No. no. But he did. So the mitzvah is clothed in the action or behavior or the combinations of letters. So me, physical me, is not practicing it. Well, it's my Shabbos? Well, it's, it's, so you have, your, 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 so, so, so the, the, your physical you, I don't, you know, the, the, the physical you and the more spiritual parts of you are both, but there's the relationship is different. I'm just confused because I feel like the whole point is that you permeate the physical and the Now saying that it's never actually Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, let me ask you a question. Is your power of action permeate your hand? So you have to get, you have to think a little bit more about it. It's a little bit more involved. The technicals aren't, she asked, so I brought it up, and it's not really for our purpose. The point is, right, the point is, is that the altar is not giving this idea that the mitzvahs are in service of something else, and that's why Shem wants them. No. The mitzvah, the point of the mitzvah is the mitzvah, right? Which is what the sages say, schar mitzvah mitzvah. Now, um, yeah, so, so, 
I mean, and if you want to just think about this, what's, I'll give you an example. Um, what's better, hanging out on the couch or uh, a business meeting in terms of getting to know somebody, all things being equal? Right. Why? Because in a business meeting, you are present in the service of something else, which therefore limits your presence. Right? Keep this in mind. If there's a reason why you're here, then you're here in only a limited sense. That's the idea that I was saying about a limited will. If there's not a reason for you being here, that creates the possibility, it's up to you, for you to be fully present. Okay? In fact, you wanna you wanna you wanna hear a good definition for it. Like we we there's something an idea I'm sure you've heard this idea batted around a lot. There's an idea called intimacy, being intimate with someone. Right? Okay. What would if we wanted to make a philosophical definition, what makes something intimate versus not intimate? So first off, intimacy requires how many people? Two. You can't be intimate on your own, right? Presumably, right? So intimate is an interaction between two. Okay. Any time of interaction with someone else becomes is it automatically intimate? No. No, what would make it intimate? There has to be like the attention Right. So you have to be engaged with each other, right? Yeah. Okay. Any type of like where two people are engaged with each other is automatically intimate? No, no. It has to be very careful. Okay, what 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 does that mean personal? Is is is, is a therapy session intimate? Very personal. No. Therapy or vulnerable? Group therapy. So is there a difference between the two people? So I, I want to say like this: that what makes something intimate is the degree to which that you're. Engaging each other is not in the service of something else. So for instance, if we're having a very open, vulnerable conversation, but the purpose of that conversation is for, is for some third thing, then, you're not then that limits my engagement with you, your engagement with me, and that takes away from the intimacy. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So what we're basically learning is that a mitzvah is by definition in an intimate act. Whether you realize that or not, is, at least as far as Hashem is concerned. On Hashem's side, not ours. On our side, that's something for us to work on, trying to get closer to an appreciation of that. There's just no way. Though. Well, that, well, well so, so this, this has to do with the fact that we have a godly soul, we have an animal soul, which, um, which means that there's different levels of our being operating simultaneously. Um, Okay, because in the physical sense of it, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, my but, but, ratzel claims to connect to God is the reason why I would choose to do a mitzvah which connects me. But then the question is, where is that rutzen coming from? Is that rutzen coming in an unlimited way or a limited way? That's not this chapter, but that's something we discussed in Chassidus. It, it is possible, but I didn't experience that. My soul That also is an open question. If you're asking speaking realistically, the answer is yes. If you're speaking conceptually, there's a lot of room for different things. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai experienced that. You're saying I'm not Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I know that. What? Saying, let's say you're with someone here, while you with them, like having a conversation with somebody, and the reason is to get to know the person, not for another source of dignity, to know a person, another outside force. So, so this is where we can say that there can be degrees of intimacy. Right. Something can be intimate from what? 
Right, because because right, right, right. Just like I said, we're right. If, you, if you're getting to know somebody because you really appreciate them, want to get to know them, that's pretty intimate. But on the other hand, the idea that like developing a better sense of the person is the goal of this, that doesn't somehow limit. Let me give you an example. Very, oh, by the way, for this, by the way, it doesn't even need to be two-sided. You could have intimacy. There's only one way. I'll give you an example. Okay, someone who's deathly ill, they're not conscious, and a loved one is by their bedside. Wait, what? Someone is deathly ill. Yeah, and not conscious. Not conscious. And loved one is by their bedside. Right. Is that intimate? Is that intimate? Yeah. Yeah. Why is the, why is the loved one there? Yeah. Right, because this is my loved one. And they're not, right? Like, what, what, what your being there is meant to achieve what exactly? What is, what, what? what? Are you dating, you're dating for the purpose of marriage? No, it's not intimate by definition. Yeah. That's not intimate. It's really not intimate. Yeah, th this is the thing. Is like, like this is actually one of the reasons why, like, fundamentally, not for the purpose of marriage. Is that? Then it's certainly not intimate. No. Well, no, that's more intimate. I think we're uh, if you want, if you want me to, if you want me to explain, if I explain to you why this goes into something that that that, that goes off a little bit, although it does come back to mitzvahs as well. There is something that, by definition, will destroy intimacy, any any kind of intimacy. Because um, if we're using this definition, that what makes it intimate is that your being there is not in the service of something else. If you value the connection, yeah. If you value the connection, and the connection is unstable or fragile, then what is one of the reasons why you're engaged the way you're engaged? That's right. And that, that's a very big reason. And that, that, and that governs a lot of how you present yourself and how you behave and how you do things. You don't always want to stabilize things when they're not stable. No, 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 what I'm saying is like this. If, 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 if you want to be close to somebody, but the interaction with them is not very stable. I guess you have to just, okay, so if you want to be close to someone, that is a big part of this, yes. Then, then a lot of what you're doing is winning their affection, maintaining their affection. And then if that's what you're doing, that takes away from the intimacy, which is, which is why intimacy can, I mean, there's, again, there's degrees of intimacy, but even let's say outside of marriage, right? In, in, say you, intimacy, in a certain sense, depends on the fact that the relationship is not is, is not is not uh, contingent. The things aren't going to fall apart. In other words, if if I'm if my interacting with someone else is about trying to build the relationship, maintain the relationship, do things like that, then. I mean, it's not the same superficiality as a job interview, right? right? But there is some third thing that is very much governing and limiting how I present myself and how I engage with someone else. I feel like there are ways to do this not marriage being involved. What? Well, I mean, so so the the, re the reason why the reason I bring this up is like be an outside force. What? <laughs> be a third force for somewhere. No, I, everything you could say there's a reason for something. Right, that's what we said. It's always going to be superficial. The question is how superficial, the question is, is how superficial is it? It's always going to be. Because bring any example, and think it's intimate, and like, it's a piece of No, for, yeah, and by the way, I, by the way, I want to, when I'm using this definition, I want to be clear. I, whether a person reports something as being intimate or not is beside the point, right? Because we're, like, 
you could feel like very open and very connected. And, like we're not always aware of what's going on with ourselves. Right. But so in a in a relationship, in an interaction where there is a concern that if I mess up, the other person will withdraw away from me. Then that creates a constriction that prevents. Okay. So now. Um, In, in, in the, 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 so therefore, there needs to be some kind of other kind, other thing that's providing that stability that's not the actual interaction. So that's the idea, like, you need marriage, or you need some sort of other thing that's binding these people together, and then intimacy would be possible. Okay? Whether we're talking husbands, wives, or friends, it doesn't matter. Okay? Now, the reason why I'm pointing this out, bringing this up here, is the same thing with true with Hashem, right? If you, if, if you light a Shabbos candle, is Hashem going to be present there? Yeah. What have you sinned previously? So what? I mean, like... No, that's very important, the so what. Because if that so what isn't there, then what does that mean? That his being there is conditional on... Something else. On something else. Good. It's a reward for your righteousness. Right? You, 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 you've taken away the unlimitedness of it. You've taken away... right? So you say, okay, there's no reason why he's in a Shabbos candle, but why he's in your Shabbos candle is because you did enough to deserve it. You haven't... Right? So the, 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 the part of this note, what? No, reward and punishment oriented. No, but this is the problem in a lot of human relationships. Like, or like if you were to say, when you asked about dating after the purpose of marriage, right? What, there's a kind of a cloud overhanging the whole thing, which is that if you like each other, then you're trying to do things to make sure that you stay together. And in principle, I don't want to make too much social commentary. In principle. Well, for sure it's dating in any circumstance. We're just saying dating, she asked, I said dating for marriage is for sure not intimate. I said, well, dating not for marriage, I said, it's also not intimate. Now I'll go even further. I don't know, I just see that dating without marriage for, uh, is more intimate. Because, like, you just don't have this outside force that you're trying but to get. But you do have an outside well, force. It depends. It depends on how. It does have an outside force. The outside force is you're trying, you're trying to make something work. Okay, now I'm going to mention something else, which is a little social commentary. There's always going to be superficial. Is oh 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 thank you. In marriage, this is a problem. In in marriage, we have a, we have we have a problem. You're committed though. No, in marriage we have a problem, which is if our way we subjectively experience marriage is something we have to make work, and if it doesn't work, then it falls apart. Then do you gain the benefits? The full benefits of marriage being a, a way no. to cultivate it. No. 100% not. And so there's a very big problem. In other words, really, really, just like with a mitzvah, right? If you do a mitzvah, you light Shabbos candles, you say a bracha, then Hashem will be there? Yeah. Does it depend what you just did a second ago? No. No. Okay. When you get married, right? Like if you go back way to the old country, right? And obviously, I'm overly romanticizing and overly idealizing, but there is some truth to this, right? What does it mean that you're married? Like, what does that mean, like, on, on, on a human-to-human -human interaction? What? Like, what did it mean back at... What? So, I mean... The, the, so, it, 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 what? So, the... No. You guys know my fondness for quoting Fiddler on the Roof, right? Okay. So in Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye asks his wife, Golda, does she love him? 
And what does she answer? She does, he does. And what does she answer? She and boy, yeah, so my, my point is not the end. My, my point is what is she, what is, what is she, after she's like, she doesn't understand. She's like, I literally run your house and do everything for you. What is your problem? Right, okay. So what does it mean to get married? To be, to be like, to be okay, okay. I mean, so I mean, be overly. Share your life with somebody else. Right, but in a very practical sense, it means it means like it means like yeah, 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 yeah. It means it means like this. It means like there's a woman, and she does not have to worry about where the where where money is coming from because there's a man taking care of it, and there's a man who does not have to worry about how his food is going to be cooked and his laundry is going to be clean because. And is that one second, one second? And does that depend? And here's the thing: is these obligations towards each other depend on how nice they are to each other? No. No. Now, if, if that really is something that's embedded in the psyche of a person, right? Yeah. So then there's a kind of a sense like, like, this is the way it is. Like, like even if, like, 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 one person's gonna be there when the other person comes back regardless. So now that now, there's something that's already holding together that has nothing to do with their interpersonal relationship. So now the interpersonal relationship can just be about yeah. that. Now, does that automatically mean that happens? No. Did it always mean that it was always like that then? No. No. But the more marriage becomes a project that you're working on, then the more issues you have. The harder it is to achieve an intimate relationship in a marriage. Right? In other words, very often, we, in the modern world, we treat being married very analogous as if we weren't married. There's a little more paperwork to dissolve the thing, but that's it. And, and that really undermines the ability to achieve that kind, that degree of... Yeah, you also have friends. They're friends. Wait, how do you achieve that again? What do you do? If, if you, degree to which there's an, a, 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 a sense that regardless of how I am, yeah. you're still going to be here. Regardless of how um, you are, I'm still going to be here. That state of affairs... Yeah allows then for the interaction to be intimate, that the engagement does not in the service of something. Is that not apparent way of saying this needs to work? Because you're going to be here and I'm going to be here, so... Yeah. Okay, right, but, but the problem is that we don't really have that in the modern world. It's, it's weakening. It's a problem. No, but we said it's on the modern world and now we're trying to make it work. No, 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 no. Oh. No, in other words... I think we just... I, I don't think that's why we can anymore that's not why people marry which is a problem so i think at that point doesn't really make a difference that's a separate issue that's a separate issue right that's a separate issue my, my, but i i mean i i someone regardless of whether you get married or not like that's gonna be a separate experience that's that's that that my 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 point in bringing this up this stuff up is is to give us more of a sense of what's going on with hashem right so what happened? So why do we use the analogy that when Hashem gave us the Torah, it was a marriage? Like, what, what's the analogy there? Does it matter what you did? No. Every time you light a Shabbos candle, what's going to happen? Hashem will be there. That's why we use the analogy of a marriage. Now you just have to have intimate Oh, from Hashem's point of view, it's absolutely intimate. Hashem's so I know. Well, we're, we're the ones that are flawed. <laughs> okay? In other, words, the, the, in other words, how much you want to then use this as the guide to your personal life, that, that's a, like another discussion. I'm working the reverse. I'm using these ideas 
The writer understands what he's saying. So the, this highlights an interesting story. The 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 Alter Rebbe's wife one time was talking about the Alter Rebbe, and she said in Yiddish, "Mine," because in Yiddish, um, um, the way of referring to your spouse, you just say "mine." Instead of saying my wife, you just say mine. Mine is up. Mine says. She mentioned Alter, which is mine. And Alter overheard this, and as Alter was known to do, he went into some sort of a state of spiritual ecstasy. And when he woke up from it, he said, If with one mitzvah I became hers, with how many mitzvahs am I God's? Mm. Right? And the idea being, right, is that there's this, there's this thing that has already created the, the ground that is independent, and now, so there's an able to. To, to be present not without any ulterior motive, without any limiting force, not even trying to make the relationship work because there's something else holding that together. And so that's what's happening, for at least from Hashem's end, in every mitzvah that we do. Okay? Right. Which then explains one other thing, and I'll end on this. Okay? One of the things that the, the Rebbe pushed a lot is the importance of getting one Jew to even do one mitzvah. Now, given what we've learned, that should make a little bit of sense, right? Independent of whether they become religious. Like, what is the value of one Jew doing one mitzvah? Not every action counts. Why? Right. No. That one thing, at that moment... At least from Hashem's point of view, at least as Hashem relates to the Jew, whether the Jew, how much the Jews conscious aware of is a separate point, right? Because of what you said, like whatever they did before, that didn't matter. Right. So right. It sounds like I can't let Joss handle the that, that doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Go back to go back. Right. It's it's it's, it's, it's if, a, if a loved one if a loved one comes and visits somebody, right? Comes and visits someone just because that's just just to be there, isn't that valuable in and of itself? It's not only that myself. It is. It is the value, right? Like, okay. Like it has to lead to something. Like you, you missed the point. That's crazy. It's not. No, it's not. Even though it doesn't lead to something, or might not lead to something, it's why does it have to lead to something? And if you value that in yourself, when you finish one mitzvah, obviously, what do you want to do? Okay. Another okay. mitzvah. All right. Good. That's the idea. Okay. Thank so you. you're all married to a champ. <laughs> and from Hashem's point of view, that's a real marriage. All right.